Sorry, got out Children's Church. Um, just want to remind you, two weeks from today, May 15th, you believe we're in May already? May 1st? Anyway, May 15th, two weeks from today, is our fellowship groups. And here's what will happen. As you come in, you'll need to see me, and I'll assign you to one of three groups. Our three group leaders are Pastor Brad, Audie Bradshaw, and Pastor Mike Stidham. And you'll go to one of those groups, and I'll tell you where the room is, and we will all discuss the same questions. Our purpose is to get to know each other better and encourage each other in our, our faith. I had one of our ladies tell us the other day, tell me, oh, it's been two or three weeks ago. She said, you know, there's people here that I still don't know. So let's give me that opportunity. We'll do that uh, periodically throughout the year, once a quarter. So that'll be the first one in, in two weeks from today. And then here's how things are, are, can change so quickly. We were going to have potluck, but we're not. We're going to have spaghetti dinner. And they're gonna, it's going to be provided. You just come up, show up, and we're going to take donations for youth uh, for Falls Creek. And some of our youth will be here to help serve. So uh, May 15th is going to be a great day. Even if you don't stay for lunch, you can still donate for, for the dinner because it's for camp, to send our kids to camp so they can learn about the Lord. And um, that's also the day we're going to honor our graduating seniors. We have three of them, and hopefully they'll all three be here with their parents. Mike, you going to be here? You will be here. Okay, his, his son's one of the three, so good. Um, how many of you have got an email in the last week? Um, how many have gotten more than one? Yeah, I, I get probably, in a, in a week's time, I probably get over 500. Too many. In the days of text messages, Facebook, instant messenger, emails, we can get information quickly. In fact, I can know what, what's going on in Brazil just like that. Somebody sends me a message where I can read it on Facebook or I can read it on the news. We can know. How many of you have gotten a letter, a handwritten letter, personally signed by a friend in the last week? couple of you. You okay? Here, here's a statistic. Now, the statistic is old. Uh, it's from 2010, latest I could find. But it said, according to the U.S. Postal Service's annual survey, the average home only received one personal letter every seven weeks. That was 12 years ago. I think it's probably worse than that now. Letter writing is a dying art. But when you think about the New Testament, 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament are letters. Did you know that? Stop and think about it. Uh, and, but there are also some more letters in Revelation because Christ wrote the letters to the churches, the seven churches of Revelation. Um, can you imagine how long it took Paul to write the book of Romans. That's the longest letter in the New Testament. It's, uh, it's 16 chapters long, um, and I think there are 433 verses. How long did it take him to write it? Now, not many of us, I mean, as you look through it, it's several pages, right? In that little bitty tiny scroll. I don't know how big Paul wrote. I know he had, had eyesight problems. But anyway, it took him a while. Now, um, I want to stop and, and, and just a, a little brief teaching time. Sometimes people go up and say, oh, he's teaching, I'm going to turn off. But don't do that. Um, when you think about the letters of the New Testament, how were they written? Well, the Scripture says that, that Paul and James and John and, and other writers in the New Testament were inspired by God. The, the word that Paul uses is a Greek word that takes two Greek words. One of them means uh, God, theos. The other is, is panumos, which means uh, can it means spirit or can be breathed. And he crams them together 
for that word in spirit, where it literally says God breathed. And so what it means is that God used the character, the personality, the education, the quirks of our writers, and He told them what He wanted them to write, and he, they used their own language to write it out, but they were guided by the Holy Spirit. How do they write only truth? Well, it's the, script, the, the Holy Spirit of God. And God preserved it through the Holy Spirit that we might have today. Bible scholars say that we have a very reliable text that's very accurate back to what the original writers penned. And they only wrote truth. There's no error in Scripture. Okay? Teaching time's over. That wasn't painful, was it? Okay, anyway. Um, how long did it take Paul to write the Epistle to the Romans? I don't know. Um, but when Paul wrote it, he handed it over to Phoebe, who carried it from Corinth to Rome. That's about 700 miles, more or less. Uh, to drive it today, it would take about 24 hours. But Phoebe didn't have a Lamborghini. I don't know how she traveled, whether she traveled by foot, whether she traveled by ox, whether she traveled in caravan, I don't know. But she went over the Appian Road, a road that was built in three B, excuse me, the third century B.C. to get to Rome. How long did it take to get that letter there? And somehow the Spirit of God preserved the letter for you and I. So today's message is from James. Uh, James uh, wrote from Jerusalem about 47 to 62 A.D., somewhere in that time frame. He died in 62, so it can't be any later than that. But uh, how long did it take his, his readers to get the letter? I don't know, because it says they were scattered. James 1.1 says, James, a servant of, the, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Scattered. Tradition tells us that this James is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's also been called James the Just. I've also heard he was called Old Camel Knees. Can you imagine why? Because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. I'd like to have that reputation. I don't have pretty knees, by the way. Anyway, uh, throughout history, James has been a controversial, uh, excuse me, controversial book in that some people didn't think it ought to be included in the canon. Uh, Martin Luther didn't want to get rid of it because he called it an epistle of straw. Others say that, well, it had not to be included because it talks about work salvation, which is just the opposite of what Paul says. You know, the passage, faith without works is dead. I disagree with these writers. James wrote, if you have faith, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be lived out in the way you live. You're going to have works that prove that you love Jesus. But if you don't have works, your faith is dead. That's what he said. He didn't say we're saved by our works. What he said was if there are no, no works in your life, it shows you have no faith. Another thing about, about James, as you read through the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, you'll find a lot of the things that James wrote about. For example, this comes from, from uh, Matthew 5. Jesus said, Do not swear at all, either by heaven or by the earth, but let your yes be yes or your no, no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. That was Matthew. That was Jesus. Matthew wrote that. That was Jesus. James wrote in chapter 5, do not swear either by heaven or by earth 
or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you will not fall under condemnation. That sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? So I, I, there, there's a lot that James said that, that Jesus said. He quoted his, his half-brother. According to biblical scholar James Tabor, the epistle of James came, contains no fewer than 30 direct references, echoes, and allusions to the teachings of Jesus. So it sounds like there's a lot in James that we need to make sure that we hear, that we apply to our lives, right? And James wrote to a church that was scattered. Why were they scattered? Because of the persecution in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, On that day, and that's the day of Stephen's martyrdom, the day that he was put to death for his faith, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all as, except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So James is writing to these people who've left Jerusalem because of persecution. How many of you have moved in your life because of persecution? How many have moved because of a job change? How many have moved in your life? All of us have, right? It's not easy, right? They left who knows what all they had to leave behind, but they were scattered because of persecution. And James writes, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. And he's not talking about, well, do we take this or do we leave it? They were the trials. They were scattered because of persecution. And yet James says to faithfully live for Jesus no matter what's going on in your life and do it with joy in your hearts. That's how James begins his letter. That's a good word to go with the, the message last week that says that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because when we love the Lord, we have joy. So let's stand in honor of God's Word. Let's see what James has to say about religion. We're going to start with the 19th verse of James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. When he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless. And he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Father, help us to hear what the Spirit says to us, and may we be obedient as you deal in our hearts and lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, James is a practical book. He doesn't mince words. He, he told his readers, live in a way that pleases Christ. Now, he starts out by calling them brothers and sisters because he says, you know, we're all in this together. I'm not any more important than you are. We're, we're in the same boat. And he wants them to understand that God, this is God's plan for all of his followers. And so he talks about true religion. 
What is true religion? Well, in the 16th century, Martin Luther, the guy that, that said, I'm not really sure about, the, about this book, said, the world doesn't need a definition of religion as much as it needs a demonstration of it. So the world needs to know what religion is by seeing our lives. And then 20th century South African pastor Andrew Murray wrote, what a terrible delusion to be content with or to delight in hearing the word and yet not do it. And yet so complete is the delusion that Christians never realize that they are not living good Christian lives. People mistake the pleasure they have in hearing the word of God for Christianity and worship. In other words, he says, some people go to church, they enjoy the fellowship, enjoy being with the people, they might even enjoy a good preacher, yet they don't do what God says to do because they don't know Jesus. So James says, does that kind of faith save someone? Anyone would answer his question with a resounding, no, of course not. Christianity cannot be superficial. James impressed that upon his readers. It has to be more than what looks good on the outside. How many of y'all remember the Titanic? At least the movie. Maybe you were, probably weren't around when it, when it was here. Um, the Titanic was advertised as one of those ships that was indestructible, unsinkable. Uh, it was a majestic ship with French dining rooms and orchestras and swimming pools. And it had a, a, a price class for, a price range for every class of people. And yet on its maiden voyage, it struck an iceberg on the 14th of April, 1912. And a very short time, this beautiful ship that hid all of its defects with, with brass and, and polished wood sunk in a very short time, killing 1,523 people. It's not enough to just look good on the outside. Jesus called that hypocrisy. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus told about two men that had gone into the temple to pray. In fact, Jesus said, or Luke wrote, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on each other. And two men went up to pray, Jesus said, and one of them, a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector, and the Pharisees went out, and, and Pharisees often prayed in the middle of the road where everybody could see them. Here they were in the temple, but in a prominent place with their hands uplifted, and this was the position they prayed in because they were showing God, see, my hands are clean, no sin in my life. And he prayed something like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not greedy, I'm not unrighteous, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything. Notice his focus, I, 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 as if eternal life were gained by something he did. But Jesus went on to tell about the tax collector. He said this tax collector, standing off, wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but he kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus finished and said, I tell you, one day went down to his house justified rather than the other. This one, this tax collector. Jesus said, I don't like hypocrisy. And that's what, what James wrote about. We can't just look good on the outside. What's inside is what matters. What's in our heart? British writer and theologian C.S. Lewis wrote, Surely what a man does when he's taken off guard is the best evidence for what, he, what a man really is like. 
He said, if there are rats in a cellar, you're most likely to see them if you go in suddenly. But the suddenness doesn't create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, he said, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me ill-tempered. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I am. So James talks about living based upon what we really believe or what we really say believe, not just, just, just make believe. If we don't live based upon our beliefs, what does it say about our religion? For example, what does it say if one hand we offer our offering to God and cheat our neighbor on the other hand? What does it say about our religion if we pray for someone in church then talk bad about it when we get home, at home? And my first, first thought was we're commanded to pray for our leaders and how we talk bad about them. What does it say if we love our neighbors in public but don't have the time of day for them in private? So James talks about this is what it's like to have true religion. He begins in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So first he says, be quick to hear. How many of y'all have ever heard of a a man by the name of Eric Weyenmeyer? Anybody? His story is phenomenal. He's he's an athlete who loved to skydive, snow ski, and mountain climb. He was the youngest man ever to climb all seven summits, the highest peaks in all seven continents. He did it by the time he was 33 years old. In 1995, he scaled Mount McKinley. In 1996, El Capitan. In 1998, Mount Kilimanjaro. In 1999, he climbed Argentina's Aconcagua. And then in 2001, May 25th, he reached the summit of Mount Everest. Now, 90% of the people that try to reach Mount Everest don't make it. And since 1953, 165 people have died. Now, these are all great achievements, but what we don't know about Weyenmeyer is that he suffers from a degenerative eye disease and has been blind since he was 13 years old. All of his climbs have been without the benefit of his eyesight. So how's he doing? How's he able to climb all of these, all these mountains without being able to see? By hearing. He's developed his sense of hearing. He's learned to listen well. For example, when he's climbing, the guy behind him has a bell on his, back, on, on his backpack, and he listens so he'll know which way to go. He listens to his fellow climbers. When one of them says, off to your right is a deadfall, two feet, he knows not to go that way to go another direction. He's learned that whenever he sticks his his pick and eyes, whether it's uh, the sound will, will make enough sound to let him know whether it's strong enough to hold him up to, as he gets his footing. For Weyenmeyer, listening is a matter of life and death. If we are going to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ that bring him glory, we need to learn to listen well. What are we to listen to? We need to listen to God. And that takes time with the Father to recognize His voice. Because let me tell you, not every voice out there that claims to be from God is. We need to spend time with Him. It requires time learning to listen to God's leadership. It requires time in the Word of God because when we are familiar with God's Word, we'll know when we hear a voice whether it's God's or not. Now, I don't believe that we have an angel, a good angel sitting on one shoulder and a bad angel sitting on the other shoulder whispering in our ears. But I will say this, the Spirit of God is speaking to you and the evil one is speaking to you as well and we need to discern what's right. And it requires time 
with the Father in the Word, in prayer, and it requires time where we hear the Word of God preached and taught and discussed. And we need to do some time, think, spend some time thinking about God's Word. We need to think, what does this mean? How do I, how do I apply it to my life? How, how do I live it out? What are the attitudes I need to have? What are the thoughts that I need to avoid? What, how do I live so that people see Jesus in me? Do I really live it out as God says? We need to learn to listen to God. Secondly, when James says we need to be slow to speak. James says the tongue is the test of true religion. In chapter eight, uh, 3, beginning with the 8th verse, he says, No one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless God. And with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be. So what does your tongue say about you? I can't answer that, but you need to ask that question. And does your tongue show that you're a good listener to what God says? James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. So he says, be quick to hear and quick to speak. And in uh, verse 21, he says, to humbly receive the implanted word which is able to accept your souls. Accept the word. What is God's word to you? Do you believe it? Do you believe it's God's word? Uh, do you accept it as true and as the final authority? Do you live your life based upon it? Is it the standard for your life, the problem we have in our society, or one of the problems we have in our society today, is that there are no standards. And when you throw out the Word of God in a society, you get all kinds of bad behavior. Is it any, is it any uh, surprise that we can't legislate our way to morality? We must accept God's Word. It must be what's most important in our lives. Last week we, we looked at, at the Shema's. We talked about loving God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These words I'm commanding you today, you shall be on your heart, God tells Moses to tell the people. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the road. You shall bind them as the sign on your hands and your forehead and, and on your doorposts. In other words, God is saying to Israel and to you and I that we're to live our lives based upon the teachings of His Word. And God says you're to spend time getting it in your lives. We already talked about that, but I want to just reinforce it. God says that. In that passage, talking about it, meditating upon it, reminding themselves of it, putting it on, the, on their doorpost so they'd see it. Now let me ask you a question. What would happen if just the Christians in America lived basing their lives simply upon the God, Word of God? I think we'd see a, a transformation in our nation. But John, James says, okay, it's good. It's good that you hear the Word, listen to it, accept it, believe it. But you've got to do more. You've just got to, to do it. You've got to live it out. Verse 22 says, Be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Several years ago, uh, the American Heart Association met in Atlanta. And they were discussing uh, the importance of a low-fat diet in keeping your heart healthy. And there were about 300,000 doctors, nurse, nurses, and researchers there at this meeting. Well, 
after a break for lunch, a researcher was out and he was looking to see what the doctors and nurses and researchers were all having for lunch. And he noticed that this convention was not like any other. They still had their hamburger, cheeseburgers with, with bacon and, and all the French fries and all the other fat-filled foods. And so this researcher went to a cardiologist and, and asked him, said, aren't you setting a bad example with what you're eating? He says, oh no. Of course not. I took my name tag off. Well, that's kind of funny when we talk about doctors and researchers, but when we're talking about, about saying we believe the Word of God and not living it, it's not funny. We can't say one thing and do the opposite. That, that's what hypocrisy is, and that's what, what Jesus denounced over and over and over. James says we're to live out our faith, hear it and believe it and put it into practice. And so he says to do that, we've got to first separate ourselves from the ways of the world. Verse 21 says, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And then the last part of verse 27, keep yourselves unstained by the world. How do we separate ourselves from the world? We, we can't forcibly move away from it, but we can do it in our hearts. We follow what the Word teaches. We follow Jesus. We're obedient to Him. And we allow the Spirit of God to lead us and to guide us, and we surrender our will to His. And then James goes on to say, and this is how you live out religion. You hear, you listen, slow to speak, you accept the Word, you do the Word, and it's lived out before the God by looking after those that are helpless and in need. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. I know we have Social Security in our system in, a, in the United States, and that's supposed to take care of our orphans and widows, right? I mean, our, our widows and senior adults, right? How many of you all can stand up and say, "Woohoo! I am just doing great on Social Security? That's what I thought. But we still have a responsibility because faith always expresses itself through love. So here's one of the things that we're going to do as a church. And I'm going to give some ideas, some other things we can do to help orphans and widows. June the 4th, I think that's the right day, Kathy? June the 4th. We're going to have a banquet. We're going to call it Pioneers of the Faith. And we're going to invite all of our widows and widowers. We have one widower, a bunch of widows. We're going to invite some of our uh, our older senior adults, and we're going to honor them, honor them for their faith. We're going to have a dinner. Uh, I think we're going to do it at 5 o'clock in the evening on, on a Saturday evening, so it's early enough. It might be 6. I, I don't know what time for sure, 5 or 6. But we're going to have an opportunity for you to come, and we're going to serve you. We're going to have a, a nice meal. Kathy's got the menu. I can't remember the menu. I, You know, I remember quiche. Is that right? Yeah, I remember that. We have a nice meal, and we're going to serve you. We're going to have a guest speaker. I'm working on that right now. huh? We're going to have, um, right now, some of our men are taking a survey of our members to find out what we can do to help you. And, and one, of, one person that was called said, well, and we also need to make a list of services, people that we use, because sometimes we have needs that we can't meet, but there are people we know that can. And it's going to involve all of us because somebody's going to have to serve. I know we've got people cooking, but there are other things that may need to be done. And it's a way to honor people. Well, there are other ways you could do it. Um, you can support a child through compassion. It's a good organization. I, I, one of my pastor friends in Brazil 
runs a, a, a project that's supported by Compassion. And so I know it's legitimate. He's been on the, the, the International Board for years. I know it's legitimate. So you can support a child through Compassion. What is it, Sandy? About $30 a month? Okay, I don't remember. You can make a, a gift to Samaritan's Purse. They're the ones that do Operation Christmas Child. It's, it's Franklin Graham's organization. They're doing disaster relief around the world. They're in, in the Ukraine right now doing, doing work. You can make a gift through, through, uh, through uh, Samaritan's Purse. You can volunteer at the food bank or Meals on Wheels that serve our senior adults here in the city of Tulsa. In Tulsa County. You can do that. You can give through the International Mission Board to meet the needs there in Ukraine and other places around the world where there are, are disaster and Southern Baptists are there on the front lines. And the thing about giving through Southern Baptists is none of that money goes for support anywhere along the way because our, our missionaries are already there. We're already paying their salaries, so we don't need to hire somebody else to do it. But those are all ways that we can be practical in religion. Because James says, faith without works is dead. It's a dead faith. We need to live it out. Do we really love Jesus? Do we love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's going to be lived out in the way that we treat people. It's going to be more than just hearing what God has to say. It's going to be more than just believing what His Word says. Because when Jesus lives in our heart and life, our lives are transformed. Pastor Mike Esau read it this morning. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature or a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And as Jesus transforms us, we begin to love others more and more and more. And we live it out. And people can see Christ in us. True religion is living out what we say we believe. Father, help us to be faithful in living for You. Help us to be faithful and have true religion in which we meet needs, in which we love others and go beyond just saying, I love them. But we live out our faith. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now I'm going to call on some practical responses. And I, I don't want you to tell me unless you want to. You can write it on communication. Excuse me, communication card. I get a hard time getting that word out. But between you and God, say, God, how can I practically live out this message today? What do I need to do? And then ask the Lord to help you to do it. Oh, thank you.